Hey, good morning, church. My name is Daniel. I'm a pastor here at Plaza, and welcome to our service online. Glad you're here joining us, ready to dig into God's Word. And I want to uh, encourage you, if you haven't already, to grab a Bible, turn to the book of Philippians. That's in the New Testament. I know it was read earlier, and I uh, want to have you there to hang out with us. Or if you're using the Bible app, swipe on over. You can look at the scriptures there. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Thank you for um, taking some time to listen to this message and pray you be encouraged by it. Also, want to uh, invite you to text us. If you're brand new, text the word CONNECT. And uh, you'll see some other keywords uh, come up as well, but you can text us. Uh, it goes right to our office. Also, want to just remind our church that if you're uh, wanting uh, to renew your membership for this year, 2021, April 4th, Easter Sunday is the day to get it back in. And uh, we've been talking about it for several months now. And so I uh, want to remind you about that. Also, we are so excited to be re-entering the building March 28th. That'll be one week, one week, Palm Sunday. We are excited. We are ready to blow the roof off this place with praise for all that God has done and gotten us through. And uh, so I hope you can join us if uh, you're able to. If not, we'll continue this uh, stream and uh, invite you to join us there. But for all of you who are able to come back, love to see you and also love for you to serve, be part of the comeback team. You can fill out a connection card and um, that'll be a great opportunity for you to serve as we get back as the body of Christ because we need you. We need everybody part working uh, together to pull this off for our community to reach people. Uh, and then also that night, we are super excited. We're going to have a uh, town hall meeting as we discuss um, the church merger that we talked about in our family meeting and really excited about that opportunity, how we can come together and um, build something greater for the kingdom of God and continue to make disciples. And so uh, that'll be Sunday, Palm Sunday, March 28th at 6 p.m. And again, if you're part of our email list and get all that information, love for you to come. That'll be in person uh, and there'll be a Zoom option as well. And so I invite you to be a part of that. And then finally, we've got Easter coming up. Hope you make a big invite uh, to, to let some folks know to come with you. We got uh, an egg scavenger hunt for the kids. That's all stuff you can find information about and sign up to serve with us. So as we jump into the text today, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever struggled with worry or anxiety? You can put a little raise your hand in the chat. You can raise your hand on your couch there. Most of us, though, I would imagine, don't have to raise our hands because we already know <laughs> we struggle with anxiety and worry. Um, I am a person who, who typically uh, don't struggle with anxiety and worry. Uh, that's just kind of not how I'm wired, but I can tell you there have been some times in my life where anxiety has um, smacked me upside the head, has haunted me day and night, and, um, and I have been through one of those seasons, that is for sure. And even this week, uh, I was probably more aware of the anxiety in my own life, even today, just preparing for this sermon and uh, just a number of things going on. And uh, man, I can feel that the enemy has been working in my life, uh, trying to produce more anxiety in my life. And um, man, it is something that can be crippling. One writer, Max Lucado, in fact, he wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. You might want to write that down. Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. Phenomenal book. Easy read, light reading, joyful reading, but still so powerful. He's a great storyteller, so it is really a lot of stories just kind of woven into the scriptures. And, uh, and he actually takes this whole verse and writes a whole book 
on this verse. Luckily for you, I'm not going to preach the entire book in this sermon. Um, but uh, Max Lucado says this about anxiety. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is optional. Are you with me? See, we're not going to ever get rid of anxiety because we live in a fallen and broken world. But we don't, as believers, have to live in this prison of anxiety where, where, where it keeps us captive, where it chains us. And um, it's the life of perpetual anxiety that the Bible wants to address. Perpetual anxiety is the word. And, um, and he said, don't let anything in life leave you perpe- perpetually in angst. He goes on to say this, Americans especially know about living in perpetual anxiety. According to one research program, anxiety-related issues are the number one mental health problem among women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. Stress-related ailments cost the nation over $300 billion a year, including medical bills and lost productivity. The use of sedative drugs like Xanax and Valium have skyrocketed in the last 15 years. Even students and children are feeling it. One psychologist reports that the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average, watch this now, as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Are you with me? The average teenager, the average high school student has the same amount of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. It seems like anxiety is is an epidemic, a pandemic, and especially the past year we've had, it certainly seems like the anxiety has ramped up. In fact, I heard of just another study that came out recently uh, detailing how uh, the use of um, drugs for anxiety-related diseases is now the number one prescribed uh, medicine. And so it's very interesting. Um, the, the writer Max Lucado goes on to say this, you know, anxious comes from this word angst, which is fear or struggle or worry, and then shus. And he says shus is the the sound you make when the wind gets knocked out of you, shush. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you can't breathe when you're anxious. Your, te- your chest tightens. And, um, and anxiety takes away not just our breath, but I don't know about you, but anxiety has taken away my sleep. Um, it has caused harm to my neck, to my back, uh, to my jaw, to our bowels, right? Uh, you feel that not your, your, your stomach turning into a pretzel. Anxiety can make your eyes twitch, your blood pressure rise, your heads ache, your armpits sweat, in addition to the host of other issues, body aches and those things. Then he goes on finally to write this, the news about our anxiety is enough to make us anxious. (laughs) And, um, but there is, by God's grace, a prescription on how to axe anxiety. That's the title of today's message as we're in this letter of lockdown, and we'll put that on the screen there. Um, this is part number six in this series, going through the book of Philippians, how to axe anxiety. I thought about bringing an axe in today, but I didn't think my production guys would like that if I took the axe to the table. But this is what I believe God wants to do in my life and in your life. He wants to take an axe to the roots, to the entanglements, to the vines of anxiety that try to get their grip on our minds, on our bodies. Uh, Because God is very clear that we don't need to be anxious. In fact, one person, uh, in fact, I keep it in my Bible, gave me this quote by a guy named Bob Proctor. 
said this, faith and fear or faith and anxiety both demand you to believe in something you cannot see. Both faith and fear or anxiety demand that you believe in something you cannot see. You choose. Again, Max Lucado would, would go on to write that anxiety is more about the what ifs, right? What if this happens? What if I get sick? What if it comes back? What if they do this? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I lose my job? And uh, he says, it's not just the presence. See, there's a difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is the presence of an actual threat. But anxiety is about the possibility. It's not the presence of a grizzly bear. It's about what if there's a grizzly bear out there, this hypothetical what if. And, um, and so that's where we get into trouble is because we're actually putting our faith in something negative instead of putting our faith in God who has uh, promised us to never leave us nor forsake us. And so I want to encourage you in this is that we want to be able to take an ax to anxiety and how to get rid of it. So give you a couple points here and we'll look back at the text. Point number one is this. We want to celebrate God. We want to celebrate God. We want to rejoice in him. We want to worship him and celebrate how awesome our God is. And, and just be encouraged for how powerful God is. And so I want to look at uh, the first couple verses here. So point number one is celebrate God. Look at with me at verses four through five. Verses four through five say this. Rejoice, rejoice in what? Say it, say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in your circumstances. Not rejoice in your bank account. Not rejoice in your spouse. Not rejoice in your good grades or your good looks or your boyfriend. Uh, because all those things will fail you. Not rejoice in anything of this world. But rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate God. And in fact, I like that the Bible says the word rejoice because re means you have to re-up. Just like we're re-upping our commitment to the church every year, you renew your covenant. He says we got to rejoice. It means our joy kind of fades and we got to re-up it. We got to recharge it. Just like you recharge a cell phone uh, or your watch or uh, all kinds of things that we have to charge nowadays, you have to recharge your joy by plugging it in to the greatest power source. You have to rejoice, meaning bring your joy back, which means obviously that our joy can wane because we allow, listen to me now, we allow the things of this world to uh, discharge our battery. And, um, and we have to be careful that anxiety cripples us. It starts to discharge our battery and works on us. And again, we're not gonna get rid of the presence of anxiety, but we wanna be able to get out of that prison of anxiety as Christians. So I wanna rejoice in God, keep with me, right? Rejoice in the Lord, how often? Oh, we got to go back one. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord, how often? Say it with me. Always, always. Not in the circumstances you want, but in every circumstance. Rejoice always. If you have your Bible, mark that, circle that, underline that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then I love how the Bible repeats itself because I'm slow. He says this, I will say it again. What? Rejoice. Shout it out at your house. Tell your neighbor. Say rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Put it in the chat. Rejoice. We're to rejoice in God. And then verse 5 says this, let your reasonableness or some translations say your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord, the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord is near. The Lord is close to coming back. You got to know who he is. 
So a couple of reasons I want to give you to rejoice in the Lord. It's really because of his character, because of who he is. And, um, and so first, you can just rejoice in the fact that God is sovereign. Sovereign. Do you know what that word means? That word means he's in charge. He's in control. There is not a molecule out of place in this vast universe. We were just praying with our team here before uh, the worship service. And just the idea that God was reminding me of is, is the vast universe filled with stars, our solar system, the, the, the billions of solar systems that make up our galaxy, and then the, ga- the billions of galaxies uh, that make up um, our universe. I mean, it is amazing, and every star in its right place. And not just large things, but tiny things, down to molecules and atoms and quarks and protons and neutrons and electrons. This stuff is mind-blowing. God is so much higher than us, and the Bible says he is sovereignly in control of everything. Job is a character in the Bible, and he faced some tremendous hardships on this earth. He lost his, uh, all of his income, really. He lost his family, his children, and some really difficult things happened to Job. And, um, and, and even his wife told him to curse God and die. And one of the things that Job ends up saying later on as he, after he goes through of all those things, he says this in Job 42, 2, he confesses, he says, I know I know that you can do all things. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God. I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be what? Thwarted, not warded like you got some warts, but no purpose or no plan of yours can be thwarted. That means stopped. No purpose of God is going to be sidetracked. There is nothing that has happened on this earth throughout all of history that has uh, got God off of his game. I like to remind myself of this, that Jesus is still on the throne. He hadn't fallen off of it, and he's not going to fall off of it. Um, he is still in charge to this day, and he is so incredibly brilliant that he can take the most horrific things that have ever happened and turn them into something good. God has outsmarted the devil time and time again, and he will continue to do it until the end of time. How do you know that? Well, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. The greatest atrocity... And there have been some sick things that have happened on our earth from the Holocaust to slavery to genocide. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, city after city, uh, uh, you know, of genocide. I mean, there have been some horrific things, rape, murder and cold blood. There have been some wicked and horrific things. But I can tell you the most wicked thing that ever happened in the history of of our world, in the history of the universe, the most wicked thing that ever happened was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was the only truly innocent person in the world. A lot of times we say, why do bad things happen to good people? And listen to me, that is a true statement, but we have to qualify that word good there because the Bible declares that there is no one who is truly good. Now, I know what people mean when they say that, and I've experienced that too. I've had some very nice, uh, very wonderful people who are, are great citizens, pay their taxes, love their families, and horrific things have happened to them and has broken my heart. But when we back up and, and reveal the picture of Scripture, we, we, we are reminded, the Bible says, all have sinned. All have sinned. There are, so are the, there are no truly good human beings apart from God. And so here is Jesus, the only perfect person to ever walk this earth. And what happened to him? 
He was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was spit upon. His beard was plucked out. He was stripped naked to be shamed and embarrassed. And then he was put upon that cross. And listen, the human attacks, the human attacks were tough and unbelievable because here he is God and perfect and the only innocent person. And again, there were false witnesses that testified against Jesus. And, um, but let me tell you what, that wasn't the hardest thing Jesus had to face. The hardest thing Jesus had to face on the cross was the wrath of his father. The wrath of God, the full wrath of God for all the sins of humanity. The, the correct punishment that God has to give to the infractions that have happened because he is a perfect and just God. He can't just let sin go unpunished. And, and instead of punishing us, the sinners who have committed the crimes, the rapes, the murders, the stealing, the lies, all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Let me tell you, that was the most wicked thing. That was the most horrific thing that ever happened, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you know what God did with that? He allowed it to happen on purpose. He planned it to happen. No plan of God, no purpose of God can be thwarted. He did that to open the floodgates of heaven, to bring all of his children like me, like you, sir, or ma'am watching, teenager watching, because he wanted you to come back home. And he provided a way that you could come back home. He stamped your ticket and he paid your fare so that you could come back in. That's what the message of Christianity is all about, is that the debt we had owed God, the wrath that God uh, had for us was placed upon Jesus Christ, and we get off scot-free. We are off the chain, as the expression goes. And so, man, God is sovereign, and that is a reason to rejoice in Him. No plan of His can be thwarted. God is also good. God is also good. Psalm 1830 says this, as for God, his way is what? Perfect is perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is what? Flawless. There's no flaw in the word of God. I know many people have tried to convince us that there are errors in the Bible and you can't trust the Bible. And again, the Bible demolishes every other work of history that we have and it's um, historicity as a document. And so if you're not a believer and don't trust the Bible, again, hands down, we have more evidence for the um, truthfulness of the Bible than, than any other historical doctrine, any other historical figure. If you take some time to research that, you can, if you're into that thing, you can check that out. But, um, but listen, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields, he shields all those, all those who take what? Refuge in him. God is perfect. God is good. And so we can rejoice in God. We can celebrate God because of his character, because he's in charge, he's sovereign, and because he's good, his heart is always good. So everything he does is motivated by love towards us. So we can celebrate God. We can worship God. And so you're trying to put an ax to anxiety. I'm trying to put an ax to anxiety. Our first step needs to be, God, I've got to find some ways to celebrate and praise you. That may be singing some songs. Let me tell you, there is something about singing that allows your brain and your emotions to change. I don't know why, but you know, like you've got a favorite song. And, um, and there's something that music does to you. There's some way that a, uh, that a song can touch the emotions in the heart. And sometimes we compose a song out of such a dark and difficult place. And, and 
Why did God create human beings to worship like that? Because we're wired that way and something happens to us and changes us and the anxiety starts to give way when we begin to worship and celebrate and we begin to declare God's goodness. And so remind yourself of that. Your first step in taking an ax to anxiety is to celebrate God through some form of worship. Put on some headphones and get some K-Love, some YouTube, wherever your favorite uh, Christian music is. Get in your car, get by yourself, get on a run. I mean, whatever you got to do, but worship is a key component. And that is, number one, celebrating God. Point number two is this. How to keep anxiety or how to put an ax to anxiety is this. We need to pray, pray. We need to pray. That seems sort of self-evident, doesn't it? want to dig into it a little bit more, but we need to pray. When we're anxious, all these emotions are bubbling up inside of us. I like to think of it as like a balloon in our stomach. These thoughts, these feelings, these questions, these worries, the what ifs, what if this happens? They begin to bubble up inside of you and me and they begin to squish our heart. They begin to squish our lungs and we feel like we can't breathe and all those things. It has a tremendous effect on our body. You got to get that out. You've got to let the air out of the balloon. You ever, you ever do kids ever do this? Or some kids watching? Y'all watching? Hello? Wave at the TV? Oh, good. There's a kid in here waving. That makes my heart fill with joy. And uh, be ever blowing up a balloon? You know, and when you're a little kid, you kind of pinch the end and you let the air out and it goes. Your kids love doing that sort of stuff. It annoys people. It's just something pleasurable about, about that high-pitched noise. Adults are like, quit that noise. But listen, we need to do the same thing. And listen. If, if, if we have too much air in us, this is how some of us start to sound. We start to start, we start to whine and complain to the wrong people, right? Instead, we, we need to decompress that air with the Lord in prayer. And listen, you can go to the Lord all you want, right? It's, it's not complaining when you bring it to God, amen? And uh, so bring it to him. And part of this is prayer. But our tendency sometimes, listen, my tendency is to run away from God right? When I'm feeling stressed, I feel like God is distant. And so I just kind of keep running. Or here's my other tendency is when I feel stressed, uh, I will tend to hunker down and try to solve it all by myself. All right, I'm in this pressure cooker. This thing's going on and I have got to solve this on my own. And so I, I, I curl over my desk and I protect so nobody can look at my answers. And I start working in my notebook, you know, just like a, a kid in high school. And, um, no, you can't. Look at this. I'm going to figure this out. That's two reactions I typically have. I'm not sure how you react, but um, let's, let's make a reaction to run to God and to begin to share our heart with him, begin to pray. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Can we just stop there for a second? Wow. Can we say wow? Can you say wow? Type wow. Do not be anxious about what? anything. I mean, that's a statement in and of itself, right? Memorize this verse. If you haven't memorized a section of verses, and listen, we have monthly verses we memorize as a church. It's okay to memorize two verses a month. Amen. Do not be anxious about anything. Could you imagine? This is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for me to set us free from this prison. Could you imagine how free it would feel if you weren't anxious about anything? Could you imagine how free you would feel Man, it would be a relief. It would be such a blessing to like be free from anxiety. It's not tripping me up. It's not putting my stomach in knots. It's not causing my shoulders to get tense and my jaw to clench. And oh gosh, is God is calling you, sir or ma'am, to freedom. 
He's calling you. I don't want you to be anxious. Come, come over here to me and let me take the anxiety off you. That's the call of God. Not trying to put more anxiety on you. So listen, if something is coming in your life to produce anxiety, if there are thoughts coming into your mind to produce anxiety, you know that's not from the Lord because the Lord is going to call you to the opposite. And so we got to start identifying. We'll talk about this in a second. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Man, cancer, anything, future, children, spouse, anything, job. Do not be anxious about anything. Cling to this verse. Then it goes this. But in what? Everything. But in everything by, hear the words, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, but in everything with prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, some people say, well, God already knows. Why do I have to tell him? Listen, it's for your good to let all that air out of you because you're swollen up with the anxiety. Let it out. Let it out. God already knows. He's doing it for your sake. Let it out. Have that conversation and just tell God, God, I am worried about this. I'm, I'm afraid this might happen. The Bible says we have the Holy Spirit. And another word in the Bible for the Holy Spirit is the counselor. Listen, I believe in counselors. I go to a counselor. I encourage you to go to a counselor. Uh, but if you can't afford a counselor or your appointment isn't until next week or next month or next year, remind yourself of this. The Holy Spirit is always with you and you always have a counselor and you can unload on them all of your anxiety. The Bible also says cast all of your cares or your anxiety on him. Cast them. Take them off you. It says cast them on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So against two words here in this verse, right? It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. Prayer and petition or supplication. The word supplication or petition really means to plead humbly, to plead with God. Now, I know some of us, right, we'll pray, God, I'm really struggling with this. Can you please help me in Jesus' name? Amen. And I go off. Right? God, I'm feeling anxious. Please help me. Please do that, right? But when we get to supplication or petition, this is a humble pleading. You know what a plead is? A plead is, God, I really need you. I am struggling. God, I'm overwhelmed. And we begin to plead. Now, why, why do we do that? Because, listen, when we plead, we're, we're, we're believing, we're, we're going to the source. Just like if there was someone in your life and, and you knew they had the keys to your car and, um, and, and they wouldn't give them back to you. Please, please give me my keys. I need my keys back. Let me take you to this passage because sometimes we just pray once and then we just leave it alone. And, um, and, and listen, God wants us to continue to persevere in prayer. Not because he's deaf, but because God is often working on our perseverance. That really develops our faith. See, sometimes we just try to hit it once and we don't have a whole lot of faith. We're just like, okay, maybe that'll work. God wants to develop our faith muscle. And when we begin to um, bring these supplications to him and we start to humbly plead and, and humbly cry out to him, um, that helps us grow. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, it says this. Ask, watch the progression here. Ask and it will be given to you. Then it says, seek and you will find. And then it says what? Knock. And it will be 
opened. Look at the progression here. Ask, seek, knock. I love how one pastor said it's, it's like this. Sometimes when you're at home or your kids are at home and they're asking, Dad, can, can I have some uh, cereal? And, and they don't know that Dad is, you know, in the other room. And so they asked, but, but you know, they didn't know where Dad was. And so then what do kids do? They, they asked, they didn't hear an answer. And so now a kid goes and says, well, where is dad? So they start to seek and they start to look around the house. Dad, are you over here? Dad, where are you? And then uh, let's say, you know, dad is in the garage and, or someplace else. And, and then he's got a, he's got a knock. And so Jesus is reminding us, don't just hit it one time. Ask. And if you don't hear from God, you continue to seek God out. You begin to, to, to pursue him and say, God, where are you working in this situation? I don't hear you right now. I don't feel you right now. And listen, God has never moved. Trust me, God hasn't moved. We are often the ones that moved, but we've got to seek him out because this helps us grow in our faith. And again, usually because we have moved and we tried to done it all on our, on our own strength. Ask and then seek. And then if you still don't hear an answer, knock. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about praying and supplication or petitions as we begin to pursue God. Notice again, as we keep reading this verse, verse eight in the book of Matthew, for everyone who asks, there's the word, verse eight, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, what? Finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. God is gonna answer us. And then he gives us this wonderful picture, again, reminding us of the heart of God. Verse nine. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, right? No parents just drop down a rock, you know, at, at the breakfast table. Mom, can I have some breakfast? Blop. Just a big old rock on the table, right? You wouldn't do that. Can I have a waffle, mom? Blop. You know, instead of Cheerios and some milk in their bowl, you just drop a bunch of rocks in there, right? I'm not giving parents any ideas, I hope. And uh, no parent would do that in their right mind. You wouldn't do that. And then I love the next part, right? <laughs> Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent. Again, in those days, they ate fish quite frequently. And, um, and uh, imagine, right, just plop down a snake uh, on your kid's plate, you know, instead of some fish sticks, right, just a little wiggly snake, you know, just, right? You wouldn't do that as a parent. You wouldn't do something so cruel. Then verse 11, he says this, if you then who are evil, again, this is God reminding us we are all sinners compared to the glory and the purity and the holiness of God. We are sinners. We are evil. That's the state of us outside of Christ. If you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. In other words, we even as sinful human beings would never treat our children like that. Watch what he says. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to what? Those who who ask him. And so what are we saying here? We've got to remember who God is. He loves to answer us more than we even love to ask. But he's developing our relationship with us by continuing to persevere in prayer. So when we pray, just don't say, Lord, I'm anxious about this. I'm, uh, I'm struggling. Please help me. We need to get pleading with God. We need to draw near to God. And so sometimes we have to keep praying and continue to pray because that develops our muscle, just like working out in the gym. And so... Number one, right, we have to celebrate God. Number two, we want to pray, ask, seek, knock. Man, as, as uh, I don't know about you, but some of us, we struggle to ask for help. 
I've struggled to ask for help. As a pastor, I feel like I got to have it all together. I got to have all the answers. I got to have all the plans. And, and, and I so, sometimes don't ask for help. As a parent, I sometimes don't ask for help. And um, as a husband, I sometimes don't ask for help. There's this thing in my mind that kind of says, I have to have it all together and have all the answers. Do you ever get like that? But you know, God made us to exist in relationships. He made us to need help. First of all, to need his help. But second of all, to need the help of the people around us. The Bible says two are better than one. And church, as we talked last week uh, during our family meeting about the possibility of merging with our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, right next door at Red Church. Man, I think about this. Like sometimes we're afraid to ask for help because we feel like it means defeat or it feels like we are a failure. But that's not at all what it means. God created us and wired us for help. And, uh, and so we, it's okay to ask for help. It is not wrong to ask for help. In fact, that's how you get saved, by saying, God, I need help. But sometimes when we become a Christian, we begin to think, I should never have to ask for help again. And that's just foolish. We need the Lord's help, and we need the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, listen, well, we want to make sure that as we pray through this decision as a church, and we, we think about combining forces and joining forces to do more for the kingdom of God, that we're not you know, resisting that because we're prideful, because pride is never from the Lord. The Bible says God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And you know what the humble do? The humble ask for help, right? And um, that, this has helped me so much. And, and people have said to me, even the last few weeks, pastor, it's okay for you to ask for help. And I just thought, whew, thank you for saying that. Because sometimes in my mind, I feel like I could never ask somebody for help. Um, and that's just a lie from Satan. Because again, the Bible says two are better than one. One commentator on this as we talk about prayer, and I hope you are praying um, uh, about all that's going on in our church, in our world, in your life. Um, but one commentator on this passage said this, peace, which is the opposite of anxiety, peace is the fruit of believing prayer, the prayer of faith, right? God, I'm, I'm asking, for, I, God, I believe, God, and listen, uh, we could be like the man in the, in the scriptures who said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't believe enough. And uh, listen, God says you just need a mustard seed of faith. Mustard is just one of the tiniest seeds. Sometimes it, it looks almost like a little flake. It doesn't even look like a whole lot of seed. A mustard seed of faith. You, you take one step of faith with God and he will grow that. In fact, the mustard tree bushes would, would grow uh, rather large from a little teeny thing. And that's the image God wants to paint in our minds about our, about our faith. Listen, you just place a little bit of faith in God and watch how he grows it. So pray. We need to be praying and, and willing to ask for help. Point number three is this. So we celebrate God. We ask for help by prayer. And then number three is this. We need to give thanks. Amen. Give thanks. We need to give thanks. Gratitude is simple. So simple to say thank you. So simple, but it is so powerful. It's like one of those Super green multivitamins that my brother Mike and our production team takes. Gets his vegetables in a pill. It's small, it's simple, but it's powerful. Gratitude is like that. It is this unbelievable power. Look at the scriptures. Again, verse 6. Right? So, do not be anxious about anything. Are you getting this in your mind yet? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, I'm going to ask for help. With, what's the next part? Shout it out. Thanksgiving. 
thanksgiving. Shout it out in your house. We have got to be people of gratitude, even in the midst of the hardest parts of our life. What can we be thankful for? We talk about this a lot. Uh, the rest of the verse, by the way, says, and let your requests be made known to God. And, um, but we talk about thanksgiving a lot. We talk about making a gratitude list a lot. At least I try to do that. I'm just here to tell you, have you made a gratitude list yet? It's okay. I'll wait for you to answer. You can put it in the chat. You can email me. You can snail mail me. Have you made a gratitude list? It's so simple. Put it on your phone. Put it in a journal. Put it on your coffee table. Put it on your kitchen table. Put it on your mirror. It takes a minute to write down three things you're grateful for every night. And I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your anxiety when you start to list those things and verbalize those things and write out those things. I mean, powerful things. What, what is something you can be grateful for in the midst of all the hardship? And again, that doesn't mean your situation is perfect, but there's always something you can find to be grateful for. This is a spiritual discipline. And now, now in our age, psychologists and neuroscientists, right, they're discovering the benefits. You can read all kinds of articles about the benefits of gratitude. God knew this well over 2,000 years ago as a prescription for worry and anxiety. Gratitude is a powerful thing. And so find the things you can be grateful for, you can thank God for. And again, that turns it right back into point number one, celebrate God and worship, right? But make a list. And notice, right, um, what the result is, verse 7, right? So verse 6 is, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but everything, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Then verse 7, here's the result, verse 7. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Well, isn't that a great phrase? The peace of God. Again, the opposite of what anxiety is. The peace of God will come and guard your heart and your mind. I don't know about you. Do you need some help guarding your heart and mind? Man, I do. And in fact, the word here, guard your heart and mind, is a military term. Uh, It actually means to stand on the guard. And some of our military personnel know what it means to stand watch or to stand guard. And so could you imagine the peace of God over your bed, giving you the sleep you need, over your workday, over your family and your home, standing guard like a sentinel, right? A mighty sentinel, the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind. Oh man, that's what I need to be reminded of, right? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in, notice the words there, Christ Jesus, because he is the prince of peace. So it'll guard our hearts and our minds. And so we've got to give thanks. Again, small but powerful thing. And so listen, I'm not saying give thanks for some dumb things, Uh, uh, because you got hurt. I'm not saying uh, give thanks about these things, but give thanks in all the circumstances. There's something you you can find to be grateful for. Pastor, my child just died. That's happened to members of our church. Horrific things. Child drowning, murder, car crashes, horrific things. Pastor, do I give thanks for those things? No, not for them, but in them. There are things you can find to be grateful for. 
Uh, even, even in things that happen to our lives, a traffic or a car accident, um, you know, praise God, it wasn't worse, right? If we start renewing our minds to be reminded of these things, I fell and I broke my leg. Man, praise God, I didn't break my hip and require this surgery. I was just talking to a family member right before we recorded this who had a fall. And again, praise God for the miracle. They didn't break anything. That is a miracle at their stage of life. That is a miracle. And, and we, we often look for God to do these mighty miracles, like grow a set of wings out of my back, God, and that'll be a miracle to help me believe you. But listen, falling and not breaking something is quite a miracle, amen? And so there are miracles that happen all around us, and we often are looking in the wrong places. And so let's look for the miracles. One of our guys was here just a few moments ago, and um, he, he happens to have lizards, and, um, and so every now and then he'll bring them around. And these little lizards, man, they're little miracles, little dragons, little bearded dragons, little thing running around here. And uh, don't worry, that's, that's why this is all online. You don't have to worry about it. And, um, and they won't be here on a Sunday. That's okay. And, um, but listen, those little things are miracles. Look for the miracles. What are the things you can be grateful for? That's point number three. And then finally is this point number four. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Fix them. Fix your thoughts. What do you mean? We've got to take control of our mind. See, some of us think that our mind, because listen, and this happens to me, there are some intrusive thoughts that come into my mind. My mind. They come into your mind, and it just feels like I can't control them. They are just like bombarding me. And listen to me, that is part of spiritual warfare. The battlefield, listen to me now, the battlefield is in your mind. So we've got to fix those things. And God has given us, listen to me now, God has given us the ability and the power to do that with the way he has wired our brains to work. Again, biologists and neuroscientists discover all this stuff, is that when you worry and continue to practice anxiety, you create a neurological pathway. Think of it like when rain runs down your yard where where you've got a gutter, and then it just starts to rub away all the soil and all the grass and erode that area, right? You familiar with that? And um, it just starts to rub a path, and then pretty soon all the water starts to go through that path. The same thing happens with the neurons and synapses that fire in our brain. And the more we practice worry and anxiety, we start to curve a path. And that makes your next thought easier and easier to be anxious and and worried. But when you start to fix your thoughts and you start to change that pattern, you can rewire it. I mean, again, neuroscientists, they do all the studies. You can rewire your brain to start to thinking a different way. So we've got to fix our thoughts. We can control our thoughts. Look what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says this. Finally, brothers... Finally, brothers and sisters, this is actually a verse we memorized, uh, I believe, last year. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Look at this list here. You might want to circle these things. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what does the Bible tell us to do? Think. Think. Think about these things. Don't think about the other things, but begin to think about these things. Let's look at those words again. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. These things. You can begin to focus your mind on these things. Now, again, let's be honest. It's not going to stop all the anxiety. You're not going to get rid of the presence of anxiety but it will get you out of the prison of it. And 
Uh, one writer talked about it this way, and you may have heard this before, and, and they'll ask a question. You know, can you stop a bird from flying over your head in the air? The answer is no. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head. But here's the next question. Can you stop a bird from building a nest on top of your head? The answer is Yes, if you allow the bird to sit there and start putting all that junk on your head, you just got to swipe it away. This is what the principle is going on here. This is a great principle for fixing your thoughts, dealing with temptation and, and tempting thoughts because they start to overwhelm you and just be intrusive. We've got to start thinking about these kinds of things. What are things that are true instead of the lies, right? What is true about me? What is true about my situation, God is still in control. God is still working even when I can't see him. What is true about me? I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the king. I'm not forgotten about. Even if everybody is forgotten about me, God never forgets me. That's what's true. Right? What is honorable? What is just? Whatever is pure, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. We've got to fix our mind on these things. And so we have, by God's grace, the power to do this. And, and listen, how do you do this? Uh, again, the world calls it meditation. I mean, the Bible talks about meditating as well. This is where we begin to fix our mind. We, get, we get start to slowly go over, take some deep breaths. Some people think meditation is, is not biblical, not part of Christianity. It's been in the Bible, for, again, for over 2,000 years. Take some deep breaths, slow down your breathing, and fix your mind on Christ. Repeat a verse over and over again. Maybe this verse. Begin to focus on the things in life that are true and honorable. This may also mean removing things that are not honorable, that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not excellent. Maybe there are some people in your life that you need to stop hanging around because they are so negative, they begin to bring you down and create this pattern of thought in you. Maybe there are some shows in your life that are not pure, not excellent, and, and they begin to mess with your thought process. I remember when we had young kids, my wife used to watch a show, and um, Criminal Minds, I think that's what it was, and, uh, man, she began to have nightmares because Colonel Mines just showed some crazy things. And uh, like it, love it, whatever, indifferent. But she just knew I had to stop watching them because I had young kids and I began to get real anxious about all these crazy things that would happen to me and my kids. That was just a move she made consciously to say, I don't want this anxiety in my life. I'm going to get rid of it. Are there, is there some music? Are there some things you're allowing in your mind? Are there some birds you're allowing to build a nest there? That's the question for you and for me. Are there thought patterns? And start changing the thought patterns. Things that are true, noble, excellent, right. Get rid of those invasive thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. <clears throat> we destroy, we destroy. That's the power God has given us. We destroy arguments. What are arguments? There is a, 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 a satanic warfare coming against me and coming against you, and we destroy these arguments. Look at the rest of it. These arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the what? The knowledge of God. And we take how many thoughts? Every thought captive. This is what I mean by controlling your thoughts. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen to me, beloved. Not every thought that comes in your mind is from God. Some are from our corrupt hearts. Some are from Satan who is whispering to us, you're worthless. You're nothing. God is not going to come through for you. No one's going to be there for you. You're alone. You're ugly. You're, you're twisted. Your sexuality is messed up. Like these thoughts start to come in our minds. Those don't all come from God. And with every thought that comes in, notice what it says, every thought captive. I need to say, God, is this true? Is this noble? Is this honorable? And I just stop that bird right there. And I say, God, this thought is not from you. And I, I knock it off of my mind. 
And then through that process, God begins to change <clears throat> our thought patterns. And so we can do that. Let me encourage you. And so how do we axe anxiety? How do we take an axe to those vines that are creeping up on you and me? And again, I feel them too. We got to celebrate God. We got to pray. We've got to rejoice in him. We, we have got to, um, you know, begin to have and express gratitude. And then, and then we've got to fix our thoughts. This week, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. And um, we're an Irish family. We've always been, always been fans of St. Patrick. Not just a crazy holiday to get drunk. Tell them the gospel. And um, it's a day to celebrate missions and forgiveness and the gospel coming to act this young boy. And um, there's something called the breastplate of St. Patrick, and I just want to share it with you. In fact, it's it's a good thing to maybe meditate on if you look it up. Um, and listen, especially in Protestant circles like our church, sometimes we're not a big fan of repeating prayers that other people have written um, because we believe it's really important to have a natural conversation with God. But listen, written prayers by somebody else sometimes can be just as good, okay? And so maybe you'll just take a few moments right now uh, even just kind of calmly breathe deep. It's okay. You can get a little awkward in your house to so take a deep breath in. I'm going to read this prayer to you as you just kind of close your eyes there with your family. Kids, you guys can try it too. Take a deep breath in. I want to read these words over you. I arise today through the mighty strength of the invocation of the Trinity. Through the belief in threeness. Through the confession of oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth, through the strength of his crucifixion and his burial, through the strength of his resurrection and his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment, I arise today. In obedience to the angels, in service of the archangels, in the hope of resurrection, to meet with reward, in the prayers of the patriarchs, the predictions of the prophets, the preaching of the apostles, the faith of the confessors, in the deeds of righteous men, I arise today through the strength of heaven the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire through the speed of lightning, the swiftness of the wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, the firmness of the rock. I arise today. God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me. God's wisdom to guide me. God's eye to look before me. God's ear to hear me. 
God's word to speak to me, God's hand to guard me, and God's shield to protect me. From the snares of devils, from the temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near, I arise today against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul. Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye of every that sees me. Christ in the ear of every that hears me. I arise today. Through the mighty strength through the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in threeness, through the confession of oneness, the creator of all creation. Let's pray together, family. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. We ask for your help in our anxiety. God, we give you our anxiety. God, help us to celebrate you, to lay our petitions at your feet to practice gratitude, Lord, and to fix our thoughts upon you. Lord, if there's someone watching this who doesn't know you, God, I pray they would hear your voice calling them today. And God, that they would just cry out to you as Savior. And all they need to do if they don't have a relationship with you and anxiety is crippling them as they can cry out and say, Jesus, save me. And if that's you, you might want to just say this right where you're at, with your eyes closed and heads bowed and, and just say, Jesus, save me. You might want to say, God, I admit I've sinned against you. God, I admit I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. God, I believe you rose again on the third day. God, I believe you rose again on the third day. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a notification there. Let us know. Raise your hand. Fill out a connection card. We'd love to celebrate you as welcomed into the family of God. Nobody's born a Christian. It's a choice. God saves us, and uh, we want to celebrate with you. And for the rest of us, may we continue to trust God. May we continue to rejoice in him and not be anxious about anything. Listen, and, uh, and again, as we're preparing for town halls and uh, thinking and excited uh, about the possibility of joining for- forces uh, with our brothers and sisters from Red Church, man, have, have we followed this? If you're feeling anxious about that, have you celebrated God? Have you been praying about this? Have you given thanks for this opportunity? And have you fixed your, your thoughts on the things that are good, noble, true, and right? And ultimately, we, who is good, noble, true, right, just? You know, you know that's where we're really fixing our thoughts. That's on the person of Christ. So family, let's continue to keep our eyes on him. And Lord willing, we'll see you next time.